The True Ambition Podcast with John Zink is brought to you by IT Avalon. IT Avalon, IT staffing and professional services done right. Visit our sponsor at itavalon.com. Now, welcome to True Ambition. Welcome, everybody, to the True Ambition Podcast. My name is John Zink, and I am joined today by Mr. Robert Smith. And uh, appreciate you being here today, Robert. Uh, Robert is a former NFL running back, and he is the founder and CEO of a company called Fan Health Network. And he is also a sports commentator and analyst. So uh, appreciate you being here today, Robert. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, you bet. It's a pleasure. Uh, you know I'm a big Vikings fan, and uh, we talk about that often. So uh, year's not going that great this year, but, uh, you know, we, we still got a chance for the playoffs. Still got a chance, right? Still playing. Yep. So I was doing some research, and uh, I already knew some of this stuff, but all-time NFL record for average yards per touchdown, uh, 27.2 yards. I didn't know that before. That's awesome. Uh, two <laughs> it's, times. It's, kind of a, it's a record I owe to uh, Leroy Horde, actually, because Leroy would come in, come in the game you know, inside the 10-yard line for like three years. <laughs> uh, so I, I, could, I had to score uh, from outside the 10-yard line and – had some really long ones, didn't have a lot of short ones. <laughs> uh, well, also a two-time Pro Bowler, uh, NFL Alumni Running Back of the Year in 2000, and uh, Big Ten Freshman of the Year in 1990. Uh, first player to win Ohio's Mr. Football Award in 88 and 89. And uh, my, my next-door neighbor is a guy named Gary Owen. He's a stand-up comic, mm -hmm. and uh, he's an Ohio guy. So when I told him I was talking to you, he said, I don't care about all that pro stuff. You talk to him about Euclid, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> where's where's is Gary from the Cleveland area? Uh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he uh he he uh he's uh, a pretty big stand up comic. He's gonna be on here, I think, in I don't know, about four or five weeks he'll be on here uh doing the podcast as well. So he was uh, super excited I was talking to you. Nice. Uh, actually, a couple of the questions I got on here came straight out of his mouth. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that works. So born in uh, Euclid, Ohio, uh, lives in Texas. And how old are your kids? Uh, my daughter is 10 and my son is eight. So you're a busy guy. Busy guy. It's a, right in the thick of it, you know, but it's, yep. I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, it's just, it's such a great age. Uh, you know, they're, they're really starting to come into their own and, you know, my son's just a little maniac and he's starting to get more and more in, into different sports. Uh, but the coolest thing is to me, he still likes to uh, have stuffed animal fights. <laughs> and, and like when we're when we're walking into uh, into a, a store or a mall together, he still wants to hold my hand. It's just the greatest thing in the world. I got a I got a neighbor that lives down the street. Um, uh, his name's Steven. And uh, him and I were talking, his kid is teenage years, somewhere around 14 or 15. And we were talking the other day because my little boy, Johnny, is two years old and uh, just holding his hand, walking and stuff. And my friend Steven saw us and he, him and I were talking later that night. He goes, I remember the day that I was standing in Target 
and uh, he wouldn't hold my hand anymore. <laughs> you know, and he, he said it with just this sadness in his face where it's just like, you know, that day is coming one of these days. Yeah, you know that it, you know that it comes at some point, but it's just it's just part of it, right? I mean, yeah. it's the march of time and you love to see them grow up and and understand that at some point it uh, you know, it, it it just gets to a different place for them and you know, unfortunately I lost my mother uh, back in 2016. And, uh, you know, right up until, uh, right up until she died, whenever she introduced me, I was still her baby. Cause I was the youngest. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just, I miss, I miss hearing that. So, you know, there's a, I think there's a time where you, you appreciate your parents a little bit differently, especially when you become a parent. Um, but you understand that, uh, everybody goes through phases and you want to see your children grow up and you want to see them mature. Yeah. How many siblings do you have? Uh, well, unfortunately, my I only had one brother, and he passed away uh, back in 2017. Okay. Um, well, sorry about that. Um, uh, now, you and I met at the Gene Upshaw Golf Fundraiser in Tahoe, and uh, it was funny because I walked in, and like I said, I'm a big Vikings fan. I said, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I walked up to Robert Smith, and you were sitting there with your kids. And uh, you and I started talking, and we had a lot in common. So uh, we'll talk more about that here in a second. Um, when when did you realize when you were growing up um, that you were an athlete? You know, when when that kind of hit you that uh, you know I I think I might go after this. Well, I mean, you just realize. You know, for me, it was realizing that I was a lot faster than everybody else. Uh, and you know, we would have track and field day at, at, at school, things like that. And I'd win everything and, um, you know, ended up my first, my first year actually competing, uh, officially with a, with a real team when it was when I was in the fifth grade and I ran track that year, but I would play neighborhood football. And I guess I always knew, uh, that I was an athlete then I just didn't officially start playing, you know, a team sport until I was in the fifth grade. Yeah, this is I was, when I was preparing for this, I was just thinking it's like, you know, when a, a pro athlete, I mean, it's just it's a whole different level of fast and of speed and of strength and things like that. And I'm just wondering, you know, when all of a sudden you get that, because in the back of your brain for your kid, you're like, well, Johnny's a big dude, you know, <laughs> so I'm thinking in one day he's going to be like just all of a sudden just hit that stride. I'm like, OK, when's that happen? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's weird because when I first started playing, you know, I started, I started playing football the fall after that first year of track. So in, into my sixth grade year. And, you know, to me, it was just kind of something to do in the off season of track. Uh, but, you know, the, the parents, you know, I remember uh, in one, one guy in particular, his son was a running back on the team as well. Uh, Anthony Iosu. And uh, his dad, uh, you know, would always say, well, you're going to be a professional football player someday. And it was just like at, at that point, you're, you're just so young, you're not even thinking about it. Like, right. You're not right. even thinking, yeah, well, I might have a chance to play professional football at some point. It was just something that never occurred to me. But, you know, it's weird thinking back now. You know, I was 11 years old when I first started playing uh, organized football and it was only 10 years uh, till I was playing professional football. So it's, it's kind of weird how that progression happens, but it's just something that's just so, it's just so natural. I mean, you just keep playing and, 
if, if you do well at each level, then you can advance. But, um, you know, it almost seemed like it was something that was too good to be true to think that I could play professional football someday. I think you already answered this before, but uh, uh, was football your first sport or was it track like you were talking about before? Yeah. Yeah. So track was my first sport and it was really my first love. Uh, you know, I, I, I loved watching, uh, you know, and, and that it would have been uh, 84 uh, would have been, you know, my my sixth grade year after playing my first football season and then getting into my second season of track. And my brother and I, you know, we'd sit and watch, uh, you know, all the races. And that was the 84 Olympics when Carl won four gold medals yeah. uh, out there in L.A. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's strange, you know, man. Um, that was that was 84. And, uh, you know, nine years later, I'd be playing my first uh, regular season NFL game in that that same stadium, you know, which is just amazing. What was more fun for you? Uh, just thinking back over all of it, was it high school? Was it college? Was it pro? I mean, what 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 was, or or is it all just kind of mixed together? I mean, what what was actually more fun? You know, that's a, that's an interesting question. I I just loved competing, and when you have an opportunity to compete against the very best, you know, there are very few jobs where just by having it, uh, you know, you're considered one of the best in the world at something. And that's what NFL football is. Yeah. So yeah, it was nerve wracking, but it was also fun. Um, you know, high school football was fun because, you know, it's people that you grew up around and with and went to, went to school with, uh, now in, in college, it's somewhat the same. Uh, but, you know, you're spread across a big campus and you all make the decision to go someplace to play together as opposed to people that are from your neighborhood, uh, you know, people that you that you knew since you were a little kid. So, uh, you know, they're all a little bit different, a little bit fun in their own ways. Um, but, you know, it was just it was it was always great to have the opportunity to just compete and try and do your best. So thinking back to uh, high school, I've got a couple of friends who were. Um, competitive high school football players. Um, do you still stay in contact with some of those guys that you played with in high school? Oh yeah, oh yeah. One of my best man in my wedding, you know, was uh, uh, one of my, one of my former teammates. And you know, that's a great thing about Facebook. I know that <laughs> a lot of people have a lot of bad things to say. About <laughs> All right. But, um, you know, being able to being able to stay in touch. Uh, with a lot of high school friends, and but I, there were a lot of them that I stayed in touch with anyway. But it just makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I got a friend of mine, Tim, out here. Um, they he he went to Napa High School, and this Napa um, football team is like every year. You know, they, they I don't know if they recruit or what they do, but they always have a great team. And uh, he's always talking about the glory days back there, and he talks about this guy and that guy. And one of the guys is in the NFL Hall of Fame, and he was invited to the NFL Hall of Fame induction ceremony. It couldn't go. And he's just like, um, it's, it was just one of those questions that I thought about when I was thinking about Tim. I was like, well, I got to ask Robert if he's still in touch with all those guys. I'm sure it's a, a common theme with everybody who played uh, competitive sports in uh, high school and beyond. Um, who were some of the people over your early life that really motivated you or mentored you as far as either coaches or teachers or someone like that? Yeah. So my, when I, when I started running track in the fifth grade, uh, Frank Lepold was my uh, first track coach, my first coach of any kind. 
and uh, again, still still stay connected and connected on Facebook and everything like that. And, you know, just really made a concerted effort to to help me and, and my brother as well. My brother was running track and we would run summer track together and he would drive us to the meets. You know, we would have meets in, in Michigan and down into West Virginia and all that kind of stuff. So did a lot of traveling. So he was really instrumental early and he introduced me to his best friend who was a football coach. Uh, and uh, he was, he was my first, uh, my first football coach uh, in the sixth grade, but so many great coaches and, uh, people that were influential. My high school coach, Tom Bank, is still alive. And, um, you know, he did such a great job because the pressure really started to mount, uh, you know, with the recruiting and uh, all of the distractions. And he made a point really quickly to sit me down and say, hey, let's narrow this thing down to five schools. We'll tell everybody else thanks, but no thanks. It's going to take a lot off your plate and it's really going to help you. But, um, you know, he was he was tremendous. And then uh, you know, all kinds of teachers, um, you know, my, my eighth grade science teacher, science teacher, uh, Mr. Syracuse, uh, you know, I'd always loved science, but kind of the way that he presented it and uh, the way that he talked about uh, life and um, improving your life and always trying to stay focused and always trying to improve yourself and achieve. Uh, he was a great influence. Um, my 10th grade geometry teacher actually ended up becoming a, a, a guardian, a legal guardian for me for a year when I was in high school. So, uh, you know, just so many people that uh, that played such a such a tremendous role in my life, not only from inspiring me, but really uh, mentoring and, uh, and and caring for me uh, throughout my youth. It's pretty amazing. Um, I'm, I'm writing this book right now called True Ambition as well. And uh, looking back on everything, and just seeing all the different people in the different places that those people had to be in in your life to let us end up in the situation we're in now is mm -hmm. just amazing. I mean, just all the different pieces that had to line up perfectly because life can take a turn on a dime and just you can be flying off the edge. I mean, that, the amount of pressure, like you talked about before, with all of the... Uh, recruiting in the different places that you were probably after you. I mean, that, that had to be a tremendous amount of pressure on you as a kid. You know, it, but again, going back to uh, what, what coach bank did right away, it, it, a lot of it really wasn't even on me. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, just because, just, just because of what, just because of what he did now, uh, Michigan <laughs> was recruiting me pretty heavily. And it's kind of funny uh, Ohio State colors were the are the colors of our biggest rival or my biggest rival in high school, and we were blue and gold at Ugly. <laughs> but um, you know, I always told him there, there's no chance I'm going I'm going to Michigan. Uh, but Bo Schembechler invited me up for an unofficial visit, and he said I don't care if you're going or not. We're going up to Michigan to see Bo Schembechler. So we went up to see uh, we went up to see <laughs> Bo. I was a senior. That was actually one of the questions that my friend Tim said. You got to ask Robert if he didn't go to Ohio State, what were the next couple of places he was considering? Yeah, USC was second, and it was close. Uh, and ultimately, it came down to you know wanting my mother to be able to come see games, and she would uh, she would ride down uh, with a friend of ours from Cleveland uh, to to see the game. So she got a chance to see a lot of the games, and you know I'm just an Ohio guy, kind of through and through. Uh, and I figured 
at some point, uh, you know, that I'd want to live in Ohio and be in Ohio and, 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 and work in Ohio. It's, it's where I ended up starting my company. And I just, I just have really strong ties there. So uh, I really was never a California guy much, but USC, the allure of running back you, uh, that was pretty close. And, uh, you know, I sat out my second year at Ohio State and considered transferring. And I went and visited USC again, but I also went to visit Stanford. And that's how I ended up meeting Denny. Uh, and, and Denny uh, didn't stay there another year. He was, he was gone and into the NFL my last year at Ohio State. And then, uh, you know, he, he called me up on draft day and he said, uh, I'd let you get away once. I'm not going to let it happen. <laughs> Good old Denny, man. I loved what a great coach, man. Um, it's kind of a fabled thing that uh, one of my questions on here was, were you a good student? Uh, I think that uh, it's been said everywhere that, yes, you're a good student. Um, what were your favorite subjects? Uh, it wasn't even close. It was it was science and in pretty much all of its forms. Uh, you know, I was just always fascinated with science since I was a little kid. My mother was a registered nurse. So I was around hospitals a lot. Right. Uh, and, and she would have her stethoscope and things like that and saw some of the equipment. Um, what, what kind of nursing? What kind of nursing did she do? Well, she did a lot. So she started off, you know, as a, as a floor nurse, but then she did. She was a psych nurse. Uh, she did. She ended up doing geriatrics. Uh, so she she was in a lot of the fields. Yeah. So much respect for them. I I was a paramedic for a couple of years in this little town mm. back in Illinois where I was. And man, the nurses, man, they're, they're, they're the ones that get things done. I feel you know, we're, we're in Illinois. There's a really small town called Mount Carroll, Northwest Illinois, near Dubuque, Iowa. Oh, okay. Uh, but on the Illinois side. So town's about 1,500 people called Mount Carroll. And uh, there's one flashing light at a four-way stop and a Dairy Queen and a bunch of <laughs> bars and churches. That's it. <laughs> but, do, you, uh, do, you know where, do you know where Sycamore is? Oh, yeah. Sycamore far, Sycamore far from there? Uh, it's probably about three hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's pretty far. <laughs> yeah. Th three hours, three hours straight West of Chicago before you get into Iowa and Wisconsin is where Mount Carroll's at. Gotcha. Yeah. So it was a great place to grow up, but, uh, just, uh, it, not, not much going on there unless you're a farmer. Um, or <laughs> I bailed hay when I was a kid. So that, that tells you kind nice. of what was going on around there. Did you tip cows? <laughs> uh, it takes me back to Tommy Boy. No, no, I, I didn't tip any cows. <laughs> what are we doing tonight? Oh, we're tipping cows. All you can handle, bro. <laughs> so one of the questions I had on here, which uh, you kind of talked about, was uh, when you were playing at Ohio State, uh, you sat out a year uh, in 91 to run track. Uh, now, one of the rumors that uh, one of my guys heard was that uh, – um, your, your studies were kind of getting uh, the, your practice for football was getting in the way of your studies. So you chose to go run track. Is that true? Well, that's, that's partially true. Actually, what happened is I was in uh, a summer chemistry class. Okay. And the, the, there was a lab that interfered with practice. We had three a days then, you know, back in, back in that, back in those days. And I literally had one of the coaches, um, come to me after one of the practices. And he said, we need you here at practice next week instead of class. I'm like, are you kidding me? 
And uh, it was like, I, I don't want to be a part of this. I mean, and looking back at it, you know, the guy was really just trying to bully me out of the program. Um, and if, if I had it to do over again, um, I, I, I would have tried to stay in the program uh, and, and made sure that, uh, you know, everybody knew exactly what this guy was trying to do. But I, I don't regret it just because I learned so much about the media. I learned about uh, you know, who your true friends are when you, when you go through adversity like that. I just I learned so much from it. Uh, but I think if I had to do it again in the sense of what it really could have meant to be a part of the program and make that stand as opposed to being away from the program uh, and trying to make that uh, stand uh, I think it could have been handled differently. But, you know, when I was an angry 19-year-old, I, I, and I didn't want any part of it. Well, sometimes you got to stand up for what you believe in, too. So, I mean, uh, there's uh, different ways to look at it. And when I, when I heard that, I was like, well, that's, that's a pretty cool thing. Because a lot of people probably would have been like, okay, I'll be there, coach. <laughs> you know? No, it was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty easy for me. And, you know, it just... It, it caused a lot of controversy and I think people made more of it than, than it should be. And that's not a surprise. It, it happens a lot in the media and we see it even more now, but um, like I said, a, a lot of great lessons learned. So when you got uh, drafted in the first round in 93, was it? Yep. Was your mom with you? Uh, <laughs> no, I was, I was in my, uh, I was in my uh, uh, apartment. With my two roommates. Okay. And I wasn't even watching anymore. I, I turned on Ren and Stimpy, actually. <laughs> Best show but, ever. Yeah, so I was just, you know, I, I thought, I can't remember if it was um, Miami. The Cowboys might have been picking around 12 or 15, and then Miami around that range. And they didn't, neither one of them picked me, so I, I thought it might be a while. So I didn't even, I wasn't even watching it. So what was it like when uh, when you did get the news you were going to the Vikings? It was amazing. It was just so cool, and especially again because it was Denny on the other end of the line, uh, and you know Denny uh, became like a father figure to me. He was he was actually at my wedding, um, and you know the the opportunity to actually go and and, and play for him, um, it just it, it just meant the world to me. Now, if any coach had called me, I would have been excited. Uh, just to hear that call, but having it be Denny certainly made it even better. Yeah, that was sad when he passed. Um, he was just—he was one of my favorite coaches, you know, in the NFL. He was just such a colorful character. He was so fun to listen to. Uh, what, what was it like to play for him? Uh, it, it was—it was incredible. I mean, Denny was—he was such a great motivator, uh, and I think that you know you, you hear this a lot in coaching. You, you can't treat everybody the same, but you have to be fair with everybody. And I think he just had a great sense of what it, what it took to motivate different guys. You have a lot of different personalities, um, but he did a great job, I think, of managing uh, some pretty big personalities that we had up there. I mean, you know, between when I first got there, we had Jim McMahon and Chris Carter and then it ended up being Warren Moon. And of course, Randy came into the mix in 98 and, you know, he was able to kind of take all of those ingredients and uh, and and still motivate guys, uh, but more than anything, really emphasize the importance of team and that you had to be united in a goal. 
um, and you had to understand your part in it. You know, that's what Denny, Denny was always big on that, you know, know your role, accept your role uh, and be the best at your role. That was always it was always something that uh, that he really uh, made sure that we understood. Well, it's a good segue into my next question, which was uh, from the first time I met you, I consider you kind of a soft spoken guy. Um, you're respected, but, you know, you're just kind of um, soft spoken, I would guess. What's it like playing with all those guys that have these big personalities that are, you know, like I think of Randy Moss as being just this huge personality and some of the other guys like um, John Randall, you know, and some of these guys. What's what's it like um, being in that situation with those guys? Well, first of all, you find this with a lot of guys uh, and Johnny Randall's one of them. Like you meet Johnny off the field and it's like just a, a very low key guy. Um, but you know, a flip kind of gets switched or the switch gets flipped. I should right. say, uh, when, you know, when we cross those lines and, uh, you know, your, your personality and kind of your, uh, demeanor, uh, really change when, when it comes to game day and when it comes to, uh, being around your teammates and motivating guys. So, um, it was, it was fun for me. I never felt out of place with it because, I wasn't the same on game day either. So. so it's like an alter ego. It's like you come out there it and was. you get to, yeah. It was. I mean, you, you have to have a certain level of intensity to be able to play football and especially at more physical positions. So that switch had, 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 had better get flipped or uh, you're not going to last very long. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, did you know that Randy Moss was going to be as good as he was when you first met him? Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny in the, in the locker room, we would watch uh, ESPN in between meetings and things like that. And I remember seeing him scoring all these long touchdowns for Marshall. And then we got, uh, then we got uh, Randy all the way down at 21st, which was the same position I got drafted. Yeah. And I remember saying, well, this, this isn't going to be fair. <laughs> and, you know, we had Chris and Jake, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jake Reed, myself, Matthew Hatchett, you know, we had a lot of really good players. And um, I remember after the first practice that I saw him in, you know, somebody called me up uh, over lunch and they said, how did Randy look? Uh, And just by the way that he moved, you know, I'd I'd been around a lot of great athletes. When I was at Ohio State, I was in in a race with Carl Lewis um, I, you know, had been, I'd played with Chris Carter. I had played with, uh, you know, all these great athletes and seen great athletes on the other side of the field, you know, Dion. But there was just something different about the way that he moved in relation to everybody else and the ease with which he uh, caught the ball and accelerated and moved around people. It was, it, it was stunning, really, to see it for the first time. And it was pretty clear that uh, he was going to be something different and something special. And I remember telling the guys, he's going to be a Hall of Famer if he stays healthy. Well, it was, uh, that, that, that was my first year of becoming a Vikings fan because I had uh, recently moved to Minnesota. And uh, my first game that I went to was uh, his rookie season. And I watched you guys, and I was like, this is the most exciting game <laughs> that I've ever seen. You know, it was amazing. And uh, it was it was very so much fun to watch you guys. And I, I when I was putting together this presentation and prepping for um, talking with you on this podcast today, 
uh, my mind went back to sitting in a bar in Dubuque, Iowa, watching Gary Anderson miss that kick. Oh, and I went, oh, God. <laughs> and I, I just wondered, what, what was it like for all of you guys that year when that there, there's a way more to it that happened than just Gary. Gary always gets the short end of the stick on that. But it's like, what, what, what was it like for you guys after that season when it was all over? Yeah, I mean, it was tough, but, you know, you, you gain an understanding as a player that winning football games isn't easy. And the further you advance, the more difficult it is. And it's something that you deal with. I remember being in the locker room after the game and, you know, a lot of guys crying. And I was on the verge of tears myself. And I remember, uh, you know, they, there weren't a lot of guys talking. Um, but I thought it was my responsibility uh, to, to speak to the media. And I remember, you know, they said, well, how does it feel right now? It's like, you know, this, it's, it's an awful feeling. It's, it's, it's a gut-wrenching loss. But I said, if this is the worst thing that ever happens to me, I'm a, I'm a lucky guy. Yeah. I mean, you have to keep those things in perspective. What was behind your decision to retire at the top of your game? Which I have a lot of respect for, by the way. But I wanted to hear straight from the horse's mouth. You're a 2000. You're like, I'm done. Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes all the way back to 93. My rookie season, I'll never forget it, December 5th, uh, up in Detroit. I, I tore my ACL, cracked the bottom of my femur, uh, did some damage to the cartilage that uh, kept wearing down over the years and needed to get uh, microfracture surgery, I believe, after the 98 season. And then after my last season. So my last season was the only season that I didn't miss any games. Didn't miss any games, but I still needed knee surgery after the year. Mm. And, and I was like, you know, you can't keep doing this to yourself because, you know, at some point I wanted to have kids. I wanted to be able to run around with them. Didn't want to be a 45-year-old knee replacement guy. Here I am right. at 48, still haven't had one and don't think I'll need one. Uh, so it, it, it really was about a, a decision to, as, as I've always said, it's better to walk away early than to limp away late. Um, it was a nice, clean break from the game. Uh, because my contract was up um, and had my best season, didn't miss any games. And I really thought that if I had continued to play, I could have kind of crossed the line uh, with the knee and, and, and taken it into a, a territory that, you know, could have caused some severe damage uh, long term. That's awesome. Thank you for uh, explaining that because, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, my God, he's walking away. You know, all of all the Vikings fans are like, no, not Robert, <laughs> you know, at the time. So but uh, I, I had a lot of respect for it. Um, now. Did you ever have any regrets? I mean, as far as that the years go by and you're watching football and you're seeing the guys go out there and play, did it ever go back and forth in your brain? Like, oh, man, maybe I should go back. Maybe I should go back. Nothing like that. You know, the only the only time that I really well that after. So that was 2001 when I retired January, I got a call from Brian Billick uh, in, in July or so. And, and Brian was trying to get me out of retirement. And of course, they had just won the Super Bowl. And he was a coach that I would have gone to play for. But again, thinking about the impact long term, I thought it was a better decision not to play anymore. And then when Denny took the job in Arizona, uh, a, a few years later, I was thinking, eh, you know, might be nice to go back with Denny. But again, just kind of thinking about discretion being the better part of valor and, and thinking about my health long term, 
um, it, it made more, more sense to just stay away. There's more to life than uh, just uh, the game and money and uh, look at you now. I mean, uh, go into, we're going to talk here just a few minutes about Fan Health Network with uh, what you're doing right now. And then uh, my question is, how quickly did you get into uh, sports analysis uh, after uh, you retired from football? You know, it took a few years because I had written a book and after I wrote the book, I had an agent approach me about getting into the business and it was something that I really hadn't thought of, but I missed the game more than I thought that I would. So it wasn't really a regret about, you know, should I go back and play, but being around the game without having to get surgery all the time uh, it, and, and kind of analyzing the game and watching young players develop, uh, watching teams come together uh, in, in a way that I think, you know, football is unique uh, in the amount of coordination that it takes 11 guys at a time, but all uh, phases of the game. Uh, being around that, just it, it was just incredible. Uh, so that's kind of how I got into it. But I didn't start at ESPN until 2005. We do a great job at it, and I, uh, I enjoy uh, any games that you're calling. So uh, um, you've talked openly in the past about struggles with alcohol. Um, you and I have known each other for a while, and you know about my story. You know, I've got about six and a half years sober, and it's a huge part of my backstory. And it's one of the things that you and I talked about initially when we met up in Truckee years ago. Um, and there's something about um, those kind of issues that uh, brings two people like you and I together. Um, how long have you been sober? Uh, well, it'll be nine years in May. Well, congratulations. Um, when, God willing, right? Oh, thank God. I tell you what, <laughs> probably neither one of us would be here talking to each other without it. Exactly. So um, when did you realize that you had a problem with alcohol? I mean, it, it didn't take long. I mean, it was really early in my drinking career that I, I knew I didn't drink like other people, had the family history. My mother and, and father both struggled with abuse. And I actually stayed away from it. Um, you know, I know you're supposed to in high school anyway, but your high school friends are doing it. And I never did it then. Or I only did it a couple of times. And, um, you know, when I got into college, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, they call it a progressive illness for a reason. Uh, and as you're younger and you can bounce back, you can deal with some of the consequences of those heavy nights of, of, of drinking. And I knew all the way then that it was a problem. Um, you know, there, there, there were nights uh, where whether it's getting sick or getting yourself into a situation that, uh, you know, you shouldn't have been in. It was pretty clear. Um, but, you know, as I as I retired and, and didn't have didn't have anything to do, had a lot of time. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and I, and I think. I think the separation from the game, there's a there's a part of you that misses that in a way. And, you know, you're kind of dealing with some of those emotions um, by self-medicating mm -hmm. uh, and, and that, and that became a real problem. And I knew that um, as I, as I became a parent that I couldn't have both. Like I, I couldn't, I can't be the father that I want to be and have alcohol in my life. I just, it, it just, it doesn't work that way for me. Yeah. Me neither. I, I, 
I was so lucky that, uh, you know, Johnny came along after I quit drinking because just, uh, I, I do everything to the extreme. And, uh, it was like when I drank, I didn't drink every day, but when I drank, I drank all of it, you know? Yep. And, uh, it was on because that's the kind of guy I am. And then I'd wake up the next morning and go, oh, what the hell happened? Then I tiptoe around my wife and go, everything okay? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, uh, you know, luckily, you know, God willing, uh, Johnny will never have to uh, see that guy. And uh, I'll be able to be around for him. And, uh, you know, same thing for you with your kids. Um, now, did anyone ever confront you about your drinking or were concerned about you or anything like that? Because I had a couple of those myself. Yeah, my mother, um, you know, definitely brought it up to me a number of times. And I just had other people say, you know, you're, it seemed like it's getting out of hand. But, you know, again, especially when you're young or at least younger, and I think it can be even more difficult when somebody has achieved a level of success and, and you think, well, I can overcome this, I can outthink this, I can do this, I can do that. Uh, I'll be able to find my own solutions to this. But, you know, I think the, you know, you, what, you, what you end up hearing from other people in recovery, you know, so many things that are, are so true that, you know, you, you kind of get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, uh, you know, you, you, you see that even when you try different ways uh, to drink, uh, and you try and control, if you try and control it, you're not having as much fun. And if you don't control it, uh, you're a danger to yourself and others. And uh, again, um, you know, you think about how you prioritize your life and, and what's most important to you and, and becoming a parent was most important to me uh, and, and not being uh, never or never being around my children uh, and, and uh, having alcohol. I mean, it, it, I wouldn't say that it was an easy decision, but it just, just like we hear a lot of times again, from people in recovery, you know, the solution is simple, but it's not easy. Um, so you know where you need to go. And I think it's just kind of people finding the path um, to others in recovery that can help them down that path. Yeah, well, it's, it's an easy decision now that I have like a, a clear head. Um, but at the time when it's not clear, and you're like, okay, how am I going to do this without having a drink on New Year's Eve? How am I going to do this? Without, you know, it's just like because I, so many years of the same behavior and those habits, and uh, you know, it's so hard. I, I've talked to a couple of friends that you know, thank God that I'm not going through it right now in the middle of COVID because mm -hmm. everything is a lot tougher now. People going to Zoom meetings and other things like that um, to you know whatever recovery people are going through. It's just, it's a lot tougher. The whole world's a lot tougher right now in this new normal we're going through yeah. with COVID. So, um, but you know, where there's a will and there's a way. And what, uh, what I say to people is like, you know, if you're going through something, if you're having a tough time, ask somebody for help. Cause there's so many people out there that'll just, if you just ask them and you're willing, the answer is there. So, uh, I appreciate you talking about this. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, as, again, as we learn from people in recovery and what they say, if you want to keep sobriety, you got to give it away. So, uh, you know, being able to share that message and uh, inspire somebody and hopefully lead somebody to uh, a, a, a better life 
uh, without substances, then it's it's the greatest thing in the world that uh, that you can have that kind of impact and and help not just that person but many times uh, family and friends that uh, are are suffering uh, with them as well. So I, I got a tweet here from uh, a while back, and I I enjoyed it because it's kind of the way I think that uh, you said. I am not an atheist, I'm an agnostic. I think it's a question beyond our understanding and certainly existing knowledge. Um, I, I'm very much the same kind of thinker. Um, there's, I was raised a Methodist. There's a whole bunch of things that I believe in, in uh, the religion that my mother brought me up in. And uh, there's parts of it that I'm just like, I don't get it. Like I, I have a couple of people in my family who are gay. And uh, as far as that religion's concerned, they're going straight to hell. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. These are great people, you know. And uh, there, there's a whole bunch of things that uh, I just I just couldn't take along with me. And that was one of the problems with me when I got into um, recovery was, okay, how do I do this? And they tell me, well, you don't have to. You just have to find something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And grab onto it. So um, one of my favorite bands out there is a band called Tool. And uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite lyrics is, uh, you know, we barely know who we, who or what came before this precious moment. Celebrate this chance to be alive and breathing. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of the way that I look at my sobriety and my God is that, you know, I'm not sure exactly where I came from or why I'm here, but I better do the next right thing for myself, for my family and for the whole community around me. And uh, I just kind of, I saw that tweet and I just, uh, I love the fact that you shared it with people because there's a lot of people that are going, well, I don't know about recovery because I don't believe in God or I don't do this. It's just like, you don't have to, you know, you just, you just find what works for you and what you can believe in and hold on with both hands. Because if you do it the right way, you're going to have an amazing ride. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And you know, it was, it was definitely a, something that, and I think for a lot of people, you look for excuses not to, uh, you know, uh, follow certain paths. And I think that, that that's part of it as well. Um, but I think understanding spirituality and powers greater than ourselves. Uh, and look, there are different types of recovery. Uh, there are different, uh, there are different, um, different paths to follow. Um, but you know, I was, I was always, I, I was always told, um, you know, by, by others in, in, in recovery that, uh, you know, don't, don't worry about, uh, don't worry about defining, uh, a, a, a God, just, uh, understand that you're not God <laughs> and, that, and that, uh, you know, that you, you listen to the, to the people that have recovered before you and you follow that path then uh, you've got you've got a pretty good chance. Amen. So let's talk about Fan Health Network. So um, tell us what is Fan Health Network? So it was started with the idea of using the passion that people have for their favorite schools, teams, athletes, and other influencers to encourage them to live healthier lives uh, in a very general sense. Um, but I wanted to make this experience where people could have fun. Uh, you know, I could see this convergence happening with digital health and social networking uh, and, and uh, uh, just the way that 
apps were a, a, a delivery mechanism where you could create these fun experiences where, you know, my in my original conception, it was I want this thing to be American Idol meets Biggest Loser meets WebMD. Uh, let's ex, let's 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 get people in these experiences. They could follow the athletes and, and influencers, see what they do to maintain their health. But that you, you can expose them to uh, products and services that can really help them achieve those goals. And so now we've migrated into working with enterprise companies in, pop, in the population health space. And their big problem is engaging these employee populations, especially middle-aged men, uh, and, and trying to get people more proactive about their health. And before COVID, uh, it wasn't talked about as much. Now it's talked about all the time, especially uh, from a digital perspective. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's really exciting some of the opportunities that we have, some of the companies that, that uh, we're going to be working with here in the near future. Uh, and we're also going to be doing some things on the consumer facing side as well through some schools uh, and some professional teams. So it's been a, it's been a tough journey, as you know. Um, but, uh, you know, now I've kind of reached this, this uh, space where uh, there's a combination of vision of technology and of uh, a, a very experienced operator that uh, I brought on as CEO. Um, so I'm no longer going to be the CEO, but uh, that, it's okay. There's no, there's no uh, pride in, in names like that for me. It, it's more important that uh, we create uh, a, a, an unbelievable company uh, and really service people. And, you know, my, my ultimate goal is to change the way that the world thinks about mental and physical well-being. And I think that uh, with some of the partnerships that we have in place that We've got an opportunity to at least make a dent. So what uh, I know that you and I talked before, your um, Fan Health Network is affiliated with the NFL Players Association. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, so the NFLPA, uh, the union that represents NFL players, I've worked in some capacity with them since 94, my second year in the league. And I currently serve on the NFL Pension and Disability Board as a trustee appointed by the NFLPA. Uh, and the NFLPA has a venture arm. It used to be called One Team Collective. Now it's called One Team Partners. And it's a combination of the NFLPA, the MLBPA, WNBAPA, uh, like the Lacrosse League, MLSPA. And it's a, it's a true venture arm now. And so we have an exclusive agreement through this One Team Partners. We're the only company that can use current NF six or more current NFL players uh, in these health initiatives. And it's a, it's, a, it's a great advantage for us as we go out to the market uh, and, and we uh, work with these companies and say, look, if you want to get people excited about health and you want to get them motivated to get into these programs, let's have the Green Bay Packers fans versus the Vikings fans. Let's yeah. have, uh, you know, Ohio State versus Michigan. Let's have all of these great rivalries and tap into that to get people excited and use that as the marquee but then again, once they get in, find out what they need most to achieve whatever healthcare goals they may have, some that they don't even realize, get them a way uh, to, to, to do it, and more importantly, stay engaged with it and keep them excited about it. Yeah, us middle-aged men are kind of tough to wrangle in. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Want to eat the same way we did when we were in our 20s and not work out. <laughs> yeah, a salad, what's that? <laughs> uh well that's great um 
what what drives you now as a business owner? Well, for me, it's really about creating a, a, a world class company, and again, with with your ultimate goal being to change the way that the world thinks about health and, and well being. Uh, you know, there are a lot of steps. Um, so for me, it's 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 not about um, notoriety. It's 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 not about the money. Uh, it's it's about just creating a company that really impacts people's lives in a positive way. And it's just you know, since I was a kid, in wanting to work in science and applied science, it's it's always about trying to help people find solutions to happier living and better living. And and to me, if if uh, we can uh, we can positively impact uh, companies and, and and employees and even the world at large, then you know what else is there? Yeah, go out and solve problems for people. Yep. You know, and that's it. Um, one of the last questions I had here for you was uh, just kind of tying all of it together. What are the things that you learned as an athlete that help you out in business? Well, things rarely go uh, the way you want them to go. Um, you know, there's a, uh, there's a saying in the military that a, ba- a battle plan rarely survives contact with the enemy. <laughs> and, you know, when you uh, when you're starting a business, you know, you think you're going to be going this way and then you end up going that way uh, and then you get a no here. But going back to your athlete days, if you stay dedicated, you keep motivated, you keep working hard, uh, you know, in the right way, uh, then you can achieve uh, whatever your goals may be. So I think, you know, really that tenacity uh, and toughness that you get um, from playing in sports and ultimately you can't win them all, uh, but you have to keep coming back and fighting. So I think that's a really important part of it. And also understanding that one person doesn't do it, that it takes a, it takes a, a, a team and, you know, the best teams and, and the best coaching staffs, uh, you know, they're not dictatorships. Uh, you know, there's a shared vision uh, and there are a lot of different paths that get considered but ultimately, you come together for one goal. Yeah, that's something that took me a while to learn. Um, you know, I own an IT staffing business. And, uh, you know, I first three years were just like, boom, like a rocket ship, right? And then it just levels off and stays there. I was trying to do everything yeah. myself, right? And, uh, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So as soon as I got to a point, I stayed there for about two or three years, and then started hiring some really good people to come in and do things better than I could do. And, you know, all of a sudden, as soon as I brought in those people that I could plug into those spots that did those things better than I did, then everything just took off. But, you know, you you don't know until you you get to that point and you kind of have to go through some failures before you can uh, succeed on the other side. Yep. So um, who, who is the new CEO? Uh, David Donovic. Okay. And what, David, what? He, David had started off at, uh, at, at Microsoft and, uh, you know, he, um, he actually was on like the, the 365 team and didn't want to, didn't want to be at Microsoft his whole life. Uh, so he, he went off and started his own business. He's actually uh, built and sold a couple of businesses already, but 
great deal of experience uh, in population health uh, and just a, just a brilliant guy. He's only 36 years old and he's just, he's just an absolute ace. The final question that I ask everybody on the True Ambition podcast is about their true ambition. So being where you've been, going through what you've gone through, knowing what you know now, what is your true ambition in your personal life and in your professional life? Well, the personal life side of it is easy, and that's just to be the best parent that I can be to my children. Uh, and, you know, they're just, they're such good kids. And, you know, what gets really fun as your kids get older and as little Johnny gets older, you, you'll, you'll start to have these conversations and, and you're just kind of blown away by how quickly uh, they develop personalities. I mean, I know he already has personality, but uh, develops, you know, a worldview. And now as I talk to my kids and I, you know, try and teach them. And, you know, it's funny before I had kids, I always thought I would be too easy on a daughter and too hard on a son. And you just kind of learn, uh, you know, what it is that you need to give children as they grow. And ultimately, your job as a parent is to prepare them for times when you're not around to help them. And quite frankly, ultimately, the time when you're just gone. Um, and as morbid as that sounds, uh, you, love your, you love your kids uh, you know, as, as best you can. You try and be there for them as best you can in an intelligent way. And ultimately, that's my, my greatest goal uh, you know, from a personal standpoint is just to always be the best father that I can be. And on a professional level, it's uh, to uh, create the best company that I possibly can. Um, and again, with a goal that's, <laughs> you know, a, a, a bit high on the ambition side uh, to change the way that the world thinks about mental and physical well-being. Uh, you know, I've got I've got my work cut out for me, but I don't mind uh, because, again, to me, life is about improving the life of as many other people as you can in the time that you have. And none of us know how long that is. You got to go out there and shake it up, baby. Yes, sir. All right. Well, I appreciate you being here, Robert. Um, I want you to uh, enjoy the holidays and uh, just have the best time with the kids. And uh, I guess I'll just end it by saying skull. Skull, baby. <laughs> That's it. All right. I'll talk to you later, Robert. Thanks so much, man. The True Ambition Podcast is brought to you by IT Avalon. For more information and links to other episodes, please visit www.trueambition.org. Now, go find your true ambition. And I'll be your protector.